Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on The Heart of the East End. Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Eligible homeowners who want to elevate their houses in Suffolk's South Shore flood-prone areas may be reimbursed for the cost of relocating during construction by the federal government under a recently passed Senate bill that still needs final congressional approval. Darwin Yanes reports on Newsday.com that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in a news conference Wednesday said there is a clause in the Water Resources and Development Act bill that will pay for the cost of relocation while a person's home is being raised. He said the bill had just passed the Senate and he is now working with the House congressional delegation to advance the bill. The federal government under the Fire Island to Montauk program is already funding much of the restoration and protection of 83 miles of Suffolk's coastline and includes financing of the elevation of qualified houses in flood-prone areas. But the new legislation would reimburse homeowners for their living expenses while relocating during construction, a cost that sometimes discourages many from applying, officials said. About 4,400 structures or homes are eligible for elevation under FIMP. This includes 1,520 in Babylon, 1,250 in Brookhaven, 940 in Islip, and 700 in Southampton. On Wednesday, in front of Richard and Lorraine Myers' Mastic Beach home, Schumer, along with local officials, said he is pushing for such federal funding in the final bill when it goes to the House. Quote, one of the best ways to protect low-lying areas like Mastic is to make sure you can raise your house, Schumer said. Suffolk County Executive Steve Ballone noted that the 10th anniversary of Superstorm Sandy was nearing and that this funding will protect eligible homeowners who want to elevate. Speaking of homeowners, the attorneys for the Amagansett homeowners who successfully charged East Hampton Town officials with contempt of court over the enforcement of a court ruling that privatized the beach long known as Truck Beach, have submitted bills totaling more than $570,000 for the legal fees in handling the adjudication of the contempt proceeding, which the judge in the case said the town must pay. Michael Wright reports on 27East.com that the work of attorneys from the New York City-based law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman comprise the vast majority of the billing at more than $537,000. The bills are for time and expenses. The firm's lead attorney on the case, James Catterson, said in an affidavit had accrued solely in relation to the request for a TRO in the wake of the February 2021 court ruling that declared the beach private and the contempt charges filed by the homeowners claiming that East Hampton town officials tried to sidestep the order to block access by vehicles to the beach. The fees include billing of more than per hour for Catterson himself, and between $395 and $1,070 for the seven other attorneys that Catterson attests worked on the TRO and contempt matters, along with an extensive spreadsheet accounting for all the time spent on the case. 
In political news, the Suffolk County Legislature's uh, majority leader postponed a fundraiser for an anti-domestic violence group on Wednesday after Newsday published a story that raised questions about the event, which would have directed payments to his political action committee. David M. Schwartz reports on Newsday.com that legislator Nick Caracapa, whose own domestic violence case is pending, announced the postponement on social media hours before this scheduled event. Flyers had solicited donations payable to his political action committee, Suffolk Solutions, which he told Newsday would distribute money to community groups, including Freebird Organization, a newly formed not-for-profit. A flyer posted to his Facebook page said, Tonight's white party has been postponed, so every precaution necessary can be taken for a successful venture. He also wrote, we currently have an expert team reviewing the organization's donation mechanisms to ensure that contributions made to Suffolk Solutions for this event are dedicated exclusively to supporting victims of abuse. He promised to hold the event in the future. Nonprofit experts had criticized the event's social media promotions as having the potential for blending charity and political activity something prohibited by federal law. And finally, a cross-section of East End lawmakers is expressing support for a proposed state law to create a pilot deer uh, reduction program in Southhold by expanding weapons use and allowing newly licensed qualified professionals to shoot deer from vehicles using sound-suppressing firearms. Mark Harrington reports on Newsday.com that the proposed legislation introduced by Assemblywoman Jody Giglio would allow firearms to be used during the regular bow hunting deer season that starts October 1st and runs through January 31st. At present, regularly licensed hunters can use firearms only during a special late firearm season in January. The proposed law, which the lawmakers said is needed to contain an exploding deer population, also would create new rules for the use of crossbows, which are higher velocity than standard bows and currently restricted in Suffolk for deer hunting. Hunters annually take more than 3,000 deer in Suffolk. Language in the bill proposes it be used to reset deer hunting regulations statewide. The New York DEC has a program for managing the deer population through 2030. Assemblywoman Giglio called the growing deer population a real crisis of health and safety and said her program could set an example for how other municipalities throughout New York State can herd their deer uh, uh, populations and keep both these animals and residents safe. Assemblyman Fred Thiel Jr., State Senator Anthony Palumbo, and Suffolk legislator Al Krupski were among lawmakers who expressed support for the bill. The bill would create new incentives for hunters to be compensated for the deer they kill and include provisions to allow 12- and 13-year-old hunters to hunt with firearms from tree stands with expert supervision. Reading the weather in Belport in honor of our first guest this morning, Isabella Rossellini, joining us for the Thoughtful Thursday segment, underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen. Looking like showers and thunderstorms likely before 11 a.m. this morning, some of which could produce heavy rain, then a chance of showers between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Otherwise, mostly cloudy this Friday with a high near 80 degrees. Light and variable wind becoming southwest 5 to 8 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 69 degrees. Light and variable wind becoming north around 6 miles per hour after midnight. Right now, it's 76 degrees, getting the music from all decades and genres started. Uh, let's see what we have. We've got Rufus Soul, the Doobie Brothers, Slightly Stupid, Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers up. 
but for sleeping at last right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Well, isn't this just perfect for this rainy Thursday morning? All the better to see us through the windows here at the WLIWFM studio. So if you're heading down Hill Street in Southampton, give us a wave, won't you?
An interesting set so far here on the Heart of the East End, the weekday morning and midnight show on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Full disclosure, we uh, wrapped this playlist around two movements from an alto sax quintet, I believe, uh, written by Perry Goldstein, who's going to join us for the Hot Sounds segment at the bottom of the next hour. Isabella Rosalini joining us at the bottom of this one, so about four minutes away. Uh, the Doobie Brothers right now, a brighter day from World Gone Crazy record of 2010. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM 88.3 on the FM dial throughout eastern Long Island, 96.9 in western Suffolk County and corresponding sections of Connecticut. Of course, streaming online to wherever you are at WLIW.org radio.
from the Doobie Brothers to Slightly Stupid. You're listening to The Heart of the East End on WLIWFM NPR Radio. Slightly Stupid and Angela Hunt leading us into the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour just after midnight if you're listening to the replay. Uh, and that means it's time for our Thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen. I wouldn't change one thing about our first guest this morning, Isabella Rossellini, joining us, I imagine, from Mama's Farm. Uh, a bit up island. Exactly. Good morning. Exactly. I'm on the farm. Oh, my God. Yes, it is, you farm. know, <laughs> it's so wonderful to have you on. I, I certainly remember interviewing Roger Sherman about shooting Soul of a Farmer, as well as Oren Etkin, I believe, about performances taking place at Mama Farm last summer, I think. So I'm honored. I'm honored to, before we even get into Darwin's Smile to learn more about Mama Farm from its founder with a tip of the hat, of course, to your daughter, Aletra, the executive director there. What can folks find at your 20 acre, 28 
excuse me, acre farm and yes, BNB. Yes, we have a 28-acre farm, and some of these acres are leased by Patty Gentry, and the documentary you've mentioned, The Soul of a Farmer, is about Patty that is within Mama's farm, and her business is called Early Girl Farm. And my daughter and I, uh, so we leased 28 uh, a parcel, we run a bed and breakfast, and I think of all the animals. We have chick we, we sell eggs to our farm members and honey. So we have ducks, uh, chicken, uh, turkeys, uh, uh, bees, of course. And we just started a program with uh, heritage breed sheep, old wool, um, you know, that has come out of fashion and maybe not used anymore. Right, right. Because we make a parallel between the so- slow food movement, the organic food, and also the organic fiber, because also fashion comes from agriculture, cotton, linen, wool. Well, I know that many of our listeners are loving what you're saying. Uh, We're really big on a lot of those things out here on Long Island. I know your pup, Peter Pan, was part of the last show you brought to the Gateway. Will your pups or any of the other animals from Mama Farm be joining you for the U.S.? (laughs) You know, the Gateway Theater is just next to Mama Farm. And Paul Allen, who runs the theater, I have a similar story, but going the opposite way. My family comes from theater, and now I run a farm. And Paul grew up in a farm uh, that now has become the Gateway Theater. (laughs) So we have a lot in common, although in in different directions. Right, right, but sort of meeting in the middle. We are middling in the middle, exactly. So this time I wrote this Darwin Smile, and I don't have my dogs, although my dogs are always with me, but she's not on stage, partially due to COVID. Yeah. I wrote it during COVID, and I started to perform it in France. And I was afraid already we had a lot of restriction in the traveling. And I was afraid that adding an animal would have added complications to already complicate traveling. Now the traveling is easing off. Um, so Darwin Smile, it's a, Darwin wrote a book. I, I, you know, he asked himself a question. It's very interesting. And as an actress, I ask myself the same question. If I smile in a film, and it's understood all over the world, but if I do an Italian gesture, you know, like Italian gesticulate a lot, it's only understood within Italian. And and Darwin wondered, these expressions that are understood universally, smiling, frowning, um, faces of when you don't like something, you wrinkle up your nose, are these expressions shaped by evolutions, like our bones or beaks of the birds? And so I was fascinated by the story because, it, of course, it is about evolution, animals that also express emotions, and acting is all about expressing emotions. Right. And so I wrote this piece, once again, about animals, their expression of their emotion, human expression of emotions, which is acting. So I put all the dots in the things that I am interested connect finally connect so what was the what what surprised you the most what's what is uh something during your research for darwin's smile that really stood out to you what we, we the, what surprises me is the question that he asks himself uh yeah you know i am going to demonstrate uh, on on stage some of the acting techniques that we used and actually he darwin was uh, just lived uh, at the beginning of photography. And so he used photography to capture human expressions. And in his book, The Expression of Emotion in Men and Animal, is the first book ever 
to publish photographs of human expressing emotion. And one of the most popular photos was a baby crying because everybody knew that expression. Everybody had seen a child crying, but nobody had captured it yet. It was only drawn. It was in painting. It was in sculpture, uh, but it wasn't uh, in picture. And it looked so authentic. And uh, this authenticity of the portraying of the expression is what we act do and we research that. And he also, so Darwin worked with neurologists and actors to recreate uh, the expression of emotion of men. And he was used to work with, uh, uh, you know, dead animals, fossil, uh, big skeleton. So he wants, photography finally froze for him the expression that are very eating and he could finally study and make parallels. Uh, when we are angry and we show our teeth, does it correspond to the animal or a dog growling? Is that expression very, very ancient because it's common to all animals? They show their teeth when they are angry. Right. He says a wonderful sentence. Our ancestors certainly um, showed their teeth growls even before we could deserve the name human being when we still worked, walked on our four and bit to defend ourselves. So he's look at the commonality of expression of emotion and, you know, and I, so I mimic on stage, I'm dressed up like a peacock, I'm dressed like because <laughs> all my things are comical. I'm dressed I love up it. like a chimpanzee, I mimic them as an actress, I act like a peacock, I act like a chicken, I act like a chimpanzee, and also act as an actress um, and try to make parallels. Because whatever I do, even if it is scientifically based... I want it to be comical. <laughs> do you do do you do the peacock sound because that is in itself a, a funny thing that oh, I try. No! Oh, yeah. no! I try. Right. <laughs> as much as I can. So no 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 what and do, the chicken. What is the finding uh, behind the spy, right behind the smile itself because as you mentioned a monkey for example will show its teeth bare its teeth in, in a sign of of, of a, a warning regression. Uh, but the smile is supposed to be a, a happy thing. Yeah. What's the evolution yeah, behind the smile? Wrong. But it, it could also be um, a sign of submission. So you you show your teeth in submission. And sometimes dogs do it. I have a dog that sometimes when he's submitting, he shows his teeth in nervousness. Right. So we don't know sometimes of the origin huh? of how huh? things developed. But we we look at the commonality and we know there is a, a history. We are trying to decipher what is is history, right. uh, and if we'll ever get the answers. But certainly, there is commonality. Uh, for example, the expression of surprise, which is to you know froze throw up and your hands. keep your eyes wide right. open, that is universal too. I've seen my chickens. I at Mama Farm, uh, we brought the, the sheep because I told you that started a wool program right, right. and they never seen sheep before and they exactly did that you know they froze <laughs> all the chicken froze and their eyes wide open and they looked at it and I could tell that they were totally surprised and were asking themselves what the hell is this right so did they do they, <laughs> they open their wings the same expression I have when I am surprised do they open their wings a bit uh during their their uh, look of surprise when no, 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 no. They say they really, they look like, like frozen. <laughs> they look uh, a little bit, uh, um, yes, frozen with surprise, you know, it's... just trying to take all the information in, not miss anything. You know, wondering, it's... is this 
cheap uh, predator. Is he going to eat me? Right. <laughs> probably. Although it, probably much more interested in the grass at the chicken's feet. So it's interesting when you talk <laughs> Absolutely. about... Absolutely. Now they're reassured. Now they live together and they're happily. <laughs> the smile The smile is uh, sort of um, like a handshake, you know, which, you know, is passed through yeah. tradition of of showing that you don't have any arms on you, that you that you exactly. don't have weapons. That's probably, maybe that's how it evolved. You know, all these things evolved thousands of thousands of years ago, and it, there is a commonality of expression. Chances are that it started with animals. They don't even exist. They are animals that, you know, uh, because we, we have an ability to change, to adapt, to evolve, which is fantastic because yeah. it guaranteed the survival uh, of uh, ourselves and all living creature in the planet, so, and uh, but it's hard to reconstruct that history. We have hints of it, but uh, and the questions are sometimes more interesting than the answers. We will never be definite. But I am underlying some of the clues. Um, for example, Darwin. I, I read a letter that Darwin wrote, wrote to his grandmother, and she said he said that went to the zoo. He went to the zoo a lot. He did like funny things. He went to the zoo and would tickle the monkeys to see if they laughed. And he had the impression that the monkey laughed, like just as, like his children laughed when he tickled them. And then one day he goes to the zoo and he sees an orangutan and the, the, the zookeeper shows the orangutan an apple but doesn't give it to her. So the orangutan throws herself in the ground and starts kicking and screaming just like a baby having a fit. Yeah. And Darwin writes to the grandmother, I think this is a clue of our common origin. origin. Um, it's not a coincidence that the chimpanzee would express some emotions. She has emotions and express them just like our children do it. And he looked at his children. He had eight children. And he looked at their expression very carefully, because when they were very little, they couldn't have acquired expression dictated by culture. Like, I am Italian, and I gesticulate a lot when I am uh, talking. But that is something that I've learned right. in Italy, growing up in Italy. But Darwin was looking at the babies when they were very, very small, when they couldn't have had yet, they couldn't have learned any expression. And just look at the early expression, crying, suckling, uh, stretching. He also wrote to friends and scientists all over the world, and he would say, do, in your country, do you uh, move the head up and down to say yes and laterally to say no? And we collect all this information. But it's fantastic, isn't it? What an interesting question. Today we know that you do move the head to say yes or no all over the world, but sometimes slightly different. So right. it's not so rigid <laughs> and it's yes and no. just just like evolution that there would be the there's small differences when you look at the cultures throughout the world yes, yes. that there's there's little different or yes. well, i'm fascinated and also probably the yes and no is a mixture of uh, evolution and culture right. you know right. uh, so so moving the head became a way of communicating um among uh, our ancestor but probably then came and to say yes and no probably was the beginning of uh, a, approval and disapproval of communication. We are social animals. I wonder, probably dog and chickens also have approval and disapproval. Huh? Uh, but um, and then, you know, and then they slightly become like dialects, uh, like we know 
speak English, but we speak it slightly different. So, you know, we don't know, but for certain, I am fascinated by by the questions because uh, it makes you look at the world uh, with so much wonder and right. so and so amusing, too. I find it very amusing. That's why that my things turn out to be comical. So, so do I. And, and I just want to thank you for, for pairing your, your talents with education, particularly about animals. This is just the latest in your series of projects, I, I think starting with Green Porno, that are dedicated uh, to learning more about animals and, yeah. and how and why they are. I, I have to run and play a track uh, before we... Uh, move on to our our next subject, but I just want to tell you uh, to break a, a leg or or a talon, whatever you prefer, ahead of this weekend. Uh, Isabella Rossellini's uh, premiere of her U.S. Uh, tour of Darwin's Smile will begin this weekend at the Gateway Theater. I think it's the Gateway dot org. Gateway Theater, Gateway Playhouse in Belport, Long Island. And thank I'm, you. You're, yeah. You are so welcome. I can't thank you enough for joining us this morning. I do hope to have you back. And I'll let you go. It sounds like uh, Dennis um, Fabzak of the East Hampton Library has joined the call. Isabella, have a beautiful rest of your morning. Thank you. You too. Dennis, are you on with us? I am. Good morning. Am. Good morning. All right. So Good morning. This is we we asked you to join us sort of last mo- uh, minute uh, because you know you've been uh, certainly uh, in the weeds in some way as Authors Night is this Saturday evening, and we're very excited here at WLIWFM to be broadcasting live from there between five and seven p.m. on Saturday, and so uh, I- I'm over here thinking I've done quite a bit of work having just finished three books this week to prepare for the event. In fact, I remember last night coming upon the story of Isabella's parents in Jeffrey Lyons' book about his father Leonard's relationship with Ernest Hemingway in prepping for Authors Night. But just to put it all into perspective, how many authors will be at Herrick Park on Saturday? Uh, we will have 100 authors, uh, and we have a, a little bit more than 7,000 books that will be stacked up on the tables in front of the authors. I mean, we're, we're thrilled. Um, Number one, we're thrilled to be at Herrick Park for the first time ever. You know, the, the Mayor Larson and the new board really went out of their way to accommodate the Library for Authors Night, and um, we think it's the best location we could possibly be, and, and it's going to be the most convenient for people to get to, uh, and will certainly help this be the largest Authors Night we've ever had. It's unbelievable, and I, and I got to tip my hat to Mayor Larson. I've been hearing such good things that throughout his administration thus far. Can can you share, Dennis, a little history behind this event uh, after you tell us first your history with the library itself? Sure. Um, well, Authors Night began 18 years ago, uh, two years before I joined the library. And, and at, at first it was a much, much smaller event where we held dinners at various homes and each dinner was uh, themed based on a book. And we sold tickets to those dinners as a fundraiser. Uh, and then we, we moved into having a tent and inviting some of the authors to the tent to sign before the dinners. Um, and then we decided, you know, maybe we could make this a bigger thing. And, and we began adding more authors and, and, you know, changing around the setup. Uh, it's gone through a whole bunch of uh, 
changes and improvements over time, and, and now we really think we have it locked in with uh, the 100 printers that are seated and the, the design we have for the tent. Uh, we're able to accommodate about 2,000 guests, and um, I'm happy to say that you know the dinners, we now have 25 dinners at amazing homes um, in and around East Hampton immediately following the tent, and it, it's really turned into an event where we raise more than 10% of the library's annual operating budget. That is um, fantastic. Night, which is, yeah. That's unbelievable. So you're, so there are sort of satellite events, really, that, that occur afterward? Well, they're part of it. So the, the event is two pieces. There's the book signing reception, which is one of the largest cocktail parties you'll ever go to in the Hamptons, uh, and certainly with more food and drinks than you'll ever attend at a cocktail party. Uh, and that's where all 100 authors are seated, signing their books for the guests. The cocktail party is going on around them. You'll be broadcasting from under that tent. Uh, we do expect around 2,000 people will be there uh, filling Herrick Park. Uh, we have a 12,000-square-foot tent to accommodate everybody. And then th that goes from 5 to 7.30. And then we have 25 dinners at various homes that um, about – third of the authors are listed as the guest of honor at, at these dinners, and guests have purchased tickets to attend a dinner with the author they're interested in. Uh, the mystery of the evening is they don't know what house, well, now they do because we're, we're in the week before the event. Right, right. Uh, but when you purchase a ticket, you don't know what home you're actually going to go to. You're, you're purchasing a ticket because you really want to have dinner with a certain author. Um, and then it's you know it's always a surprise where you're you're actually going to be going, um, and we never do them in restaurants. You know we we did it once at the library and and people weren't even too thrilled with that. They really prefer going to a home and that being part of the mystery of the whole night. Uh, so we we have stayed in homes and and we'll continue it like that for as long as we're here. So I just wanted to say thank you first of all for the twenty five. Uh, folks hosting uh, these sort of after parties, these dinners following uh, yeah. the event in Herrick Park, as well as all of the supporters of the library. Uh, you know, I, I did want to, I wanted to learn about uh, you coming to East Hampton Library, I suppose, two years after Authors' Night began. Uh, so, the, you know, the library director had left and, and the library did a six-month for a new director, and, and I was fortunate that they selected me. Um, it's one of the longest interview processes I've ever gone through, uh, but I was young and, and excited and had a lot of energy, and uh, at the time, we were trying to get a permit to build our children's edition, and, um, you know, we were very successful in being able to do that, and the community loves it, and uh, we've been able to do a lot of things since I've been here, and... and you know, I'm really happy to be here and don't plan to leave anytime soon. Um, it's a really incredible library and, and not <clears throat> not like any place else that I've worked. So we are super excited to be broadcasting live from the East Hampton Library Authors Night this Saturday. Um, between 5 and 7, we'll be live. EastHamptonLibrary.org. I imagine for tickets, are there still tickets available? There, there are still tickets available. Um uh, we you can actually purchase 
system up till the tent opens at the library, uh, or you can purchase uh, reception tickets right at the gate to get into the tent. Uh, we have a few dinner tickets, and, and we're, we've been in touch with our dinner hosts, and, and as people are contacting us, even if a dinner is sold out, we, we try to convince the host to squeeze in a few more chairs um, because it really helps. You know, the whole idea is to raise funds for the library, and, and so far everybody's been pretty accommodating. Uh, so if anybody's interested, you know, they should go to authorsnight.org. All of the information is there on, on how to get tickets and who's going to be at the event. Um, we're really excited. We added two two big names in the last couple of weeks that weren't in a lot of our advertising, uh, and that's Brian De Palma, uh, who the Hamptons Film Festival helped us get added to the event. Uh, and even though he's, he's known for films, uh, he has a novel that he's written. Uh, and we also got Neil deGrace Tyson, who wow. we had at Authors' Night about 10 years ago, uh, and he was hugely popular, and, and we're thrilled to have him back and participating. Cool stuff. All right, Dennis Fabizak, before I let you go, because I know you, I'm sure you've got quite a bit uh, to get ready for the, to button up the event before Saturday. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure yeah, the yeah, folks one, know? One huge thing for, for viewers is w one of the big things Authors Night raises money for is so that we can put on a, a free children's fair that is held at Her it will be held at Herrick Park under the same tent this Sunday from 2 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Uh, and when I say free, I mean free. There, there's carnival games, crafts, you know, seven or eight bounce houses, free food, free entertainment. Um, you know, we're, we're expecting thousands of parents and kids to come. Uh, the village has lifted the parking restrictions so that you can park anywhere and not have to worry about getting a ticket. Uh, it, it's going to be amazing. We also will have children's authors there signing their books, but it, it's going to be a really, really great event, uh, like an old-time event where the whole community comes together and, and just enjoys their children and a good time, and, and, and it's free. And, and we're thrilled that we can put that on and hopefully see everybody there. That is fantastic. I hope that I can make that as well. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Dennis Fabizak and also Deep Bowda Isabella Rosalini joining us during this hour. Uh, this is Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM, authorsnight.org for more. We'll be back.
What an awesome morning thus far here on The Heart, leading you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour with Toby Max, Light Shine Bright, featuring Holland, a little track dedicated to our friends coming to visit us here, A, Mark, Aaron, and Lake. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. in the city might be more than pretty pretty that freaky shine might be more than me's the eye anytime you see the sparkle in the dark you might look deeper deeper it might be more than simply theater yo that smile might be joy that's connected to the spirit the spirit might be contagious if you dare you dare come near it i remember can't forget peace that you can't second guess sparkle as the light reflects we write and pay it forward checks Light shine bright everywhere we go. Music for the people to illuminate the show. Light shine bright everywhere we go. Music for the people making music for the people. Light shine bright everywhere we go. Music for the people to illuminate the show. Light shine bright everywhere we go. Music for the people. Jesus, music for the people.
With Long Island Local News, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. If you're a Northport resident, you've been redistricted. If you live in Bellport, you've been redistricted or at the western end of Brentwood. Yancey Roy reports on Newsday.com that many Long Island residents will be voting in new congressional or state Senate districts in the August 23rd primaries. The once-a-decade redistricting process, coupled with a lawsuit that resulted in a court taking control of the drawing of congressional and Senate maps, has meant some significant changes for some Long Island communities. If you're scrambling for information or weren't even aware you could vote in August, you're not alone. Quote, I can't think of another year where voters can legitimately be confused about who they're voting for and where they're voting and perhaps even how they're voting. That's Lawrence Levy, dean of Hofstra University's National Center for Suburban Studies. Stephen Romaluski, director of the mapping service at the City University of New York, said the congressional redistricting changes in Suffolk are half of Brookhaven is in a new district, Southern half used to be in District 1, now it's in 2. All of the town of Huntington and part of Smithtown is now in 1 and used to be in 3. Northport voters are now in New York's 1st Congressional District, which extends to the east end of Long Island. Same goes for Huntington Station residents and parts of Smithtown. There's no Democratic primary in the 1st, but there is a three-way Republican fight among Nick LaLota, Michelle Bond, and Anthony Figliola. In return for giving up those areas, the 2nd District, held by Representative Andrew Garbarino, extends farther east along the South Shore, all the way to Eastport and East Mauritius. In the 2nd, Garbarino faces a Republican primary against Robert Cornicelli and Mike Rackebrandt in some two rep- uh, Republican congressional primaries in Suffolk, voting on August 23rd. In business news, Emil Norsick & Son, the 90-year-old garbage collection company that had grown into a trash and special events service juggernaut, has been sold in a three-way deal that will split the company's enterprises between two buyers. Michael Wright reports on 27East.com that the company's longtime boss, Emil uh, R. Norsick Jr., known to most as Skip, confirmed last week that he sold the company that his grandfather started in 1932 last month to the Quag Garbage Company Winter Brothers and to United Site Services, a nationwide portable toilets company. Norsick, who took over the company from his father, Emil Norsick Sr., in 1985, says he's handing off the bulk of the company he ran as a hands-on boss to another company run by hands-on bosses. Two of Norsick's nephews, Chris Zorko and Michael McCallan, have moved with the division of the company between two owners, Zorko to Winter Brothers and McCallan to United Site Services. And Winter Brothers has pledged to keep all of Norsick and Sons staff on the job. And finally, who will live in the proposed structures, animals or humans? The question arose during a lengthy hearing about farmland on Butter Lane and Bridgehampton before the Southampton Town Zoning Board of Appeals that drew neighbors and their attorneys speaking in opposition earlier this summer. Kitty Merrill reports on 27East.com that more recently the Southampton Town Planning Board was tasked with weighing in on a request for an array of variances sought to the applicant uh, if they can use a portion of a nine-acre tree farm for animal husbandry. Alpacas and chickens so far are the animals in question. 
The owner of 625 Butter Lane, Adam Shapiro, is seeking variances from the town's zoning code that bans animal husbandry on farms that are less than 10 acres. The applicant also needs variances to build animal shelters closer to property lines than the required 200-foot setback. Quote, the proposed agricultural use cannot be accomplished without this relief. The application states, speaking on behalf of the application was Southampton attorney John Bennett. He told the ZBA that farming predated any residential uses on Butter Lane and said it was a surreal world when people buy houses next to agricultural reserves, then don't want farming there. Quote, there are issues with the, that building, whatever that building is. Robert DeLuca, president of the group for the East End, said, offering his organization's opposition. DeLuca urged the ZBA to send the application to the planning board for site plan review conducted in collaboration with the town's agricultural advisory committee. The Southampton Town Planning Board took no action and will continue this discussion at a later date. Reading the weather in Kachog in honor of our Hot Sounds guest joining us at the bottom of the hour to talk about Sunday's Rites of Music Festival, Rustic Midsummer Concert at McCall Wines. Perry Goldstein, chairman of the music department uh, over at uh, Stony Brook University, will be joining us at the bottom of the hour to talk more. And uh, we actually wrapped this morning's playlist around uh, two movements from a... I believe it's a saxophone quintet, though the clarinet version is what folks will hear at the concert on Sunday. It looks like showers and thunderstorms likely today. Some could produce heavy rain, mostly cloudy otherwise, with a high near 81 degrees. North wind around 7 miles per hour becoming southeast in the afternoon. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 68 degrees. Light and variable wind becoming north 5 to 7 miles per hour after midnight. Right now, it's 74 degrees, getting the music started. Uh, you know what? With a little Matchbox 20 from 2002 Bright Lights. After that, a track that I was certainly listening to in that year. Interpol's Say Hello to the Angels from the Turn on the Bright Lights record. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. The morning and midnight show, the heart of the East End, playing music from all decades and genres and speaking to folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of WLIWFM and PR Radio. She got out of town On a railway in New York bound To call except my name Another alien on Broadway well, Some things in this world you just can't change Some things you can't see until it's too late And baby, baby, baby When all your love is gone Who will save me from all I love Against out in this world enough to keep you but if the bright lights don't receive you you should turn yourself around and come on home
scar I can talk about She keeps a picture of me In her apartment in the city But some things in this world, man, they don't make sense There's some things you don't need until they leave you Then the things that you miss, you say Baby, 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 when all your love is gone Who will save me from all I'm up against out in this world? Staying in 2002 for one more track, and then I'll play The Killers, Mr. Brightside. Why not? From 2003, Justin Stone, Brightside from the Look What You Started record of 2018. You're listening to WLIWFM NPR Radio.
Tucking Justin Stone and Echo Smith in my back pocket to play at the first movement, uh, bright and exuberant from this alto sax quintet by Perry Goldsmith, who is joining us for the Hot Sounds segment, underwritten by William Riss Gallery this morning, or, uh, well, technically also this morning, if you're listening to the replay at the bottom of the one o'clock hour. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Perry Goldstein and an alto sax quintet. 
Bright and Exuberant is the name of this movement. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM, 88.3 on the FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in western Suffolk County, online streaming to wherever you are at WLIW.org slash radio.
All right, I have to admit, I was just walking through the WLIWFM studio to uh, Goldstein's Quintet, uh, the Escher. Oh, it's, it's the Escher Quartet. Wait a minute. All right. Perry, are you there? I am, yes. Thanks. Okay. So, so one says Escher Quartet, but then it's labeled Quintet. Do we have four or five there? So there's a saxophonist, that's Kenneth Kay, uh, who is the saxophone faculty at the University of Iowa, joined by the Escher String Quartet. Ah, okay, so technically a quintet then. And on the line with us, Perry Goldstein, chairman of the music department at Stony Brook University, joining us uh, to talk about this Sunday's Rights of Music Festival, uh, rustic midsummer concert at McCall Wines in Kutchog at 6 p.m. Uh, welcome to the heart, first of all, chairman. Thank you. Uh, let me just correct you. I was Please. the chairman for nine years until last August. Okay. We now have a wonderful new chairman, Tina Dahl, a pianist, who's doing a great job. Well, I appreciate that correction and apologize uh, for the, the, I got the wrong information. But let's let's start by talking about that first movement we just played, Bright and Exuberant, around which we wrapped the preceding tracks. So this was a saxophone and strings piece uh, that will be performed uh, on clarinet this Sunday. Is that right? Yes, that's right. There are two versions, one for clarinet. Uh, and one for saxophone. The saxophone version was the first one. Okay, so I, I felt like when I'm walking around that there's like a story. It sort of uh, felt a little bit like when one listens to Peter and the Wolf, for example, uh, that I felt like there was like a story involved. Is there one? Well, I don't think there's a formal story. I, I think the music reflects my musical values after many decades of writing music. Um, and, you know, I've been in academia for... 40-plus years and uh, at Stony Brook for 30 years, and I think uh, trying to find one's way within an academic context uh, is often a challenge, and I've discovered what I most value uh, in music, in literature, in film, is uh, uh, works of art with, with real heart and uh, tenderness and excitement. Uh, those are the things I gravitate toward. And those are the things I've tried to uh, uh, express in my music. So I don't think there's a story per se, but I did imagine that this first movement was sort of heroic uh, in the expression of the saxophone melodies, the, the, the arching melodies, and um, in the accompaniment. Well, we certainly felt it here on the heart. Uh, tell me a little bit more about SBU's music program and uh, some of the things that you tried to impart to students over the years, over your uh, 30 years there? Yeah, happy to. I'm very proud of the institution. Uh, I think it's one of the leading uh, institutions, especially for doctoral music in the country. It, it is a little under the radar in relationship to places like Juilliard and New England Conservatory, but uh, it has a huge doctoral program, mostly of performers. Uh, so let me say that there's, there's a, a wonderful faculty in uh, critical music studies, music history, and ethnomusicology, uh, and in composition as well, where six composers on the faculty. Um, the performance faculty is world-class, including the Emerson String Quartet, which uh, the quartet you just heard, the Escher Quartet, studied with at Stony Brook uh, in a mentorship program. Um, Gil Kalish is a pianist who's been at the institution for over 40 years. 
127 recordings. Uh, Ray Anderson, our jazz, one of our two jazz faculty, uh, has been heard on 147 records. And the performance faculty are kind of who's who and attract students from all over the world. So there are about 180 doctoral students at Stony Brook, which makes it a really large program. And, yeah. Uh, we're proud of the students' accomplishments. We are so excited. Are, are any of the students going to be there? So let's let's talk about uh, this Sunday uh, for the Rights of Music Festival Rustic Midsummer Concert. Who's going to be performing uh, your your works? I'm sorry. The clarinetist is Ming Jae Wang, who is the clarinet faculty at Michigan State University, uh, and the string quartet was put together by a Stony Brook doctoral student named Ye Zhu Wu. Um, so a little bit all in the family insofar as she has uh, gathered that together and has been rehearsing them this week. In fact, I think they're rehearsing right now. So it's going to be a string quartet and a clarinet player performing music by yourself and Florence Price, as well as Stravinsky and Bartok. Uh, can you talk about what folks can expect to see on Sunday night? Um, well, they're certainly here first movement of which they just heard, and uh, that's a three-movement piece uh, of which you're going to also play the, the third movement, I think. Yes. I chose the two exciting movements, although I'll mention, too, that the second movement uh, is something I think of as a kind of urban spiritual with a set of variations, um, a little more melancholy, but uh, sort of upbeat, too, in certain sections. Um, and the people will also be hearing Bartok's duo for two violins and Stravinsky's three pieces for solo clarinet. Uh, and Florence Price is a, uh, an African-American composer who should be known better, and if people come to concerts, they will know her better. I am so excited about this Sunday's concert. Can you talk a little bit about getting involved with, with Paolo and with uh, Rites of Summer Music Festival? Right, Rites of Spring, yes. Right, excuse um, me. Well, Paolo is an amazing story. I'm sure you've had him on several times. Yes. Uh, Cosmopolitan in Roman uh, with an American architect wife who somehow plunked himself down on the North Fork of Long Island and started out of whole cloth this wonderful music festival. And uh, while I was chairman at Stony Brook, Paolo came many times to concerts and uh, has employed several of our students. Uh, and I've really enjoyed his, his programming, his own piano playing is wonderful. Yes. Uh, and he's just provided this opportunity out on the East End where none existed, certainly in the summer. There's, there's plenty going on at Stony Brook uh, during the school year, about 300-plus concerts, plus the offerings of the Stoller Center, concluded a film festival under the direction of, of the wonderful director, Alan Inkles. But um, Paulo's really uh, provided music during the summer in these very ambitious and interesting programs. And so this is the first performance of a piece of mine. I'm excited about that. and. Uh, uh, I appreciate Paolo's uh, programming. Well, we cannot wait to play the third moving uh, movement, Dancing Yet Driving, which is something that I do uh, quite often. And, and apologies, did I say rights of summer? Is that what I said? You did, but that's, that's pretty close. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, it's <laughs> certainly seasonally appropriate, though it is the rights of spring. And I will say, uh, unbelievably unique programming and very, very uh, masterful. You, you won't find, um, or you will, we're very lucky to have programming like, like Rites of Spring uh, throughout Eastern Long Island. And 
and even Up Island as well. Uh, before I play Dancing Yet Driving and let you go, Perry, is there anything that we uh, did not ask you that you want to make sure that folks know about you, about the work, and about this summer or this Sunday's Rites of Spring uh, concert? Well, I would just say that um, those of your listeners, your awesome listeners, as you have expressed it, uh, who don't know about Stony Brook's musical offerings, for example, the wonderful Stony Brook Symphony Orchestra uh, that usually has about a thousand people in the audience, um, certainly check it out on the Stony Brook Music web- website. Um, and the only other thing I would say, and you know, I wondered, hearing your other playlist uh, pieces from your other playlist songs, you know, how well this would all fit in. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad to say that it, it seemed to fit in fine. Oh yeah. The I play this next movement. Um, one thing to listen for is the, the shifting of the metrical pattern, by which I mean there's a lot of alternation of twos and threes, and you'll hear that constant shift throughout the piece uh, uh, as it concludes the, the quintet for alto saxophone and string quartet. That is one of my favorite things when there's uh, time changes. Uh, what is the Stony Brook um, Music Program's website? Where can, where can folks find out more information? I know uh, rights of spring is rights, R-I-T-E-S, music.org. Right. Um, well, I'm going to take a stab. I think if, if somebody types in... Uh, Ooh, stonybrook.edu and uh, slash music. There it is. Yes. There. Good. You found it. Perry, I can't thank you enough. All right. We're going to play Dancing Yet Driving, and we will see you on Sunday at McCall Wines. Again, R-I-T-E-S spring.org and you whoever you are out there you're awesome you're listening to the weekday morning and midnight show playing music from all decades and genres and speaking to folks from all walks of life all because of you the listener supported of long island's only npr radio station wliw fm
14 minutes before the NPR news break and the end of this edition of The Heart here on Long Island's only NPR radio station. I just want to give a big, deep bow to all of our guests this morning, Isabella Rossellini, uh, Dennis uh, Fabizak, and Perry Goldstein, as well as our underwriters, Greenhill Kitchen and William Riss Gallery. Uh, I've got a single by Mellow Fellow on deck, and then we'll see what we've got left. I didn't know whether to go with dancing or driving. I went with dancing. Uh, this is dancing on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Can I send some anniversary wishes out to Perry Goldstein and his wife this Saturday? How wonderful he might be, or they may be attending the premiere of Darwin's Smile at the Gateway. Thanks to our informative interview with Isabella Rosalini, of course, we will be at Author's Night that night. But maybe we'll get to catch the show on Sunday, the last performance in the premiere of Darwin's Smile before Isabella's uh, U.S. tour. Heading out from Mellow Fellows' 2017 single Dancing to one of my favorite dancing tracks, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas Dancing in the Street. We've got King Harvest Dancing in the Moonlight, and then we'll lead you out into the NPR news break with uh, a track from Sophie Tucker's Dancing on the People EP, Purple Hat, which I haven't played for you in forever.
Hoping everyone out there is feeling warm, bright, and exuberant, as it were, leading you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour and the end of this edition of The Heart with none other than Purple Hat from Sophie Tucker's Dancing on the People EP. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Cheetah print dancing on the people rolled up happy after joint dancing dancing on the people people dancing on the people I got people on the people people dancing on the people with the people on the people smoking CO2 see me see you dancing on the people climb up on the booth hanging from the people on the people my head is the roof dancing on the ceiling on the people I got people on the people dancing dancing on the people I got purple hat cheetah print dancing on the people rolled up happy after joint dancing dancing on the people people dancing on the people I got people on the people people dancing on the people with the people on the people smoking CO2, see me see you dance on the people, climb up on the booth, hanging from the people, on the people, my head hits the roof, dancing on the ceiling, on the people, I got people on the dancing on the people, I got people, people, people. 